Hello, this is Dr. John Ewing, and today we'll be discussing the peril and folly of opiate abuse. If people knew how these substances actually affect the brain and what they do, I think that people would have a better idea of how to use these things effectively with fewer problems. Now, it's handy to look at the idea of wakefulness and being awake. So in the morning, we start to wake up, and that light inside comes on. As we awaken, the light becomes brighter. Some days, we're gray and gloomy, and sometimes it's like climbing a mountain to get ourselves awake. Sometimes, we really light up with joy. We can describe the degree of happiness that we are having with two parallel lines, one above the other. When we're happy, we're above the top line. When we're sad, we're below the bottom line. The usual range is in between the two lines. Above the line is happy, below the line is not happy. When we look at the brain, we see that it is actually a hollow ball on a stick. And that stick or brain stem acts like a flashlight. So why is the brain all wrinkled up? It's wrinkled up so that we don't have to have such big heads. So when the brain stem lights up the cortex, we're awake, and when it's dim, we're asleep. When we're happy, an extra light gets turned on, and we glow with happiness. This extra light is produced by a structure in the brain stem called the reward anticipation system. The reward anticipation system acts like an extra flashlight that turns on our happiness and this gives us a peak experience and makes us feel good. The reward system sends dopamine to the frontal lobe and serotonin to the rest of the brain. So the serotonin can add color to the ideas that we have and animates us. The dopamine tells us to quit thinking about it and go. So when dopamine is released from the brain stem into the frontal lobes, it suppresses frontal lobe activity. So a big surge of dopamine can cause people to lose their inhibitions and do things that they hadn't planned on. So people do a lot of things to get happy. They climb mountains, they ski, they shop, and they eat pie. The common link between all drugs of abuse is that they turn on that reward activation system causing a surge of dopamine. Substance abuse is the use of a euphorogenic substance to a planned degree of disinhibition or intoxication. Use is within peer norms and serious harm is rare. The problem is that we can't maintain that state and there's often a dysphoric after effect where we feel sad and lack energy. If someone is already happy and they use the substance, they just get side effects and then a hangover. If someone is depressed or unhappy and they use the substance, they get that surge of dopamine and they experience that activated high feeling. And they might conclude, ah, this is what we need. Let's do this all the time. The problem with trying to use substances to get high all the time is that our brain adapts easily to our environment. For example, if it gets too hot, we sweat. If we get too cold, we shiver. 
This also applies to taking drugs. If someone is sleepy and sluggish, they do speed, then when it wears off, they're just totally exhausted. If they're anxious, so they calm themselves down with booze or a tranquilizer, they feel calm, but then when it wears off, they have rebound anxiety and they're a nervous wreck. We have discovered that we can actually put a tiny tube into the brain in the area of the reward anticipation system and actually measure dopamine release from the reward system. And what we find is that the brain adapts rapidly. The first dose causes a big release of dopamine. The second dose is about half or a little more as much. The third dose again is about half what it was. And so by day four, there's only a small portion of dopamine release compared to day number one. So we can map out now the dopamine release produced by the drug and then this opposing process that dampens dopamine release. And this opposing process is called the compensation or the opponent process. When we add the drug effect to the compensation effect, we can graph out the course of a high. Initially, the animal is given the substance. They produce a surge of dopamine. The compensation effect kicks in and they plateau. The substance wears off and then the dopamine levels go low because that compensation effect is still in place. In a few days, when the compensation effect is stronger, we give the animal the substance. They get the high, but it's only a small high. They feel normal when the compensation effect kicks in, and then when the drug wears off, they go low. So initially, people will get a surge of dopamine and then a dysphoric after effect. Once they have gotten used to the substance, they get a small surge of dopamine, then they feel normal, so then when the substance wears off, the dopamine levels go low and they feel sluggish and tired. Even with increasing the dose, the high always goes away. Despite taking more and more drug, people finally just don't get high anymore. They discover that instead of getting high, they're just maintaining feeling normal. The big lie that causes people to develop dependence is that because the drug causes the rapid release of dopamine, when the surge of dopamine diminishes, the person concludes that the drug has worn off. However, because of the compensation effect, it takes three to seven days for that dysphoric after effect to fade away. In time, people think they are maintaining their high, but in reality, they are escaping from the after effects of reward deficiency. Cocaine provides the classic pattern of reward activation followed by reward deficiency. There is a brief euphoria followed by three to seven days of dysphoria. With repetition, the dysphoria is worse and lasts longer and longer. Many budget conscious users quickly conclude that cocaine is an expensive way to get depressed and paranoid. Let's delve a little deeper at how the body copes with stress. We have a daily rhythm. We wake up, we become active, we get food, socialize, and then we sleep. When we rest, we go into a repair mode. 
There are several substances that our body produces that helps us to cope with the need for increased activity and stress. Adrenaline and norepinephrine are natural substances that activate the brain and body. Cortisol dampens the response to stress. It tells the body, we'll fix it later, keep going. Endorphins dampen the experience of adrenaline and pain. There are three centers in the brainstem that adapt to opiates. The effect of adrenaline is dampened and this causes more adrenaline to be produced. Our sensitivity to pain increases and reward deficiency becomes more severe. Because opiates dampen the response to adrenaline, when our adrenaline levels are low, we may feel sleepy and tired. If we give a person enough opiate, they may become so sleepy that they quit breathing and die. The body adapts to the opiates by increasing adrenaline levels. Then, when the opiate leaves the body, the elevated adrenaline is unmasked and this results in withdrawal symptom. In opiate withdrawal, the excess adrenaline is unmasked and this results in anxiety, fear, irritability, and anger. We also experience nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, goosebumps, and restless legs. Opiate withdrawal can often increase a tendency towards panic attacks. When people feel a sense of anxiety and panic, they are susceptible to a loss of self-control. Using an opiate can also increase your pain sensitivity. High opiate levels cause pain sensitivity to increase. In opiate withdrawal, everything hurts. The reward deficiency resulting from repeated use of a euphorogenic drug accumulates over time. And as we adjust to the drug, the reward deficiency will develop more rapidly with repeated exposure. If we stop using the substance, the reward deficiency goes away and we get back up to normal. We can now summarize the peril and folly of seeking peak experiences with opiates. Adrenaline excess results in anxiety and irritability. We are more sensitive to pain and we have a dysphoric lack of energy and fatigue. The frontal lobe is what enables us to make our plans and our plans are overwhelmed when frontal lobe activity is inhibited by either dopamine or adrenaline. In spite of the risk of overdose, the high makes people vulnerable to losing control and doing more of the drug. And in spite of knowing that the drug is causing their bad feelings of withdrawal, people become so desperate that they abandon their plans to quit and they go out and get more drugs. This hijack of the self is what causes that loss of self-control that we call addiction. If I can say my words clearly, I've got good diction. A dictionary is a book about how to pronounce words. Addiction means to be without say. So when somebody is addicted, they lose their say over what they're going to do. They have no control over the use of their drug. They are in a situation where they have to use the drug in order to prevent themselves from losing control of their anxiety, irritability, and fatigue. Some people only use on the weekend. They think that they're not addicted because they don't use during the week. However, the dysphoric after effect persists and this ends up decreasing their overall quality of life. Some people try to get the ultimate high. 
and these, these people often overdose and die. We also have cocktail artists. These are people that mix a variety of substances, often with fatal effects. The combination of benzodiazepines, like Valium, Xanax, along with alcohol and opiates, is called the deadly trio. Alcohol can multiply the effects of opiates such that people are much more susceptible to overdose and death. By the time alcohol rises to the legal limit, the risk of heroin overdose goes up by 22 times. Regular users are most likely to become physically dependent. Despite higher and higher doses, the euphoric effects diminish and the person finds themselves using large doses frequently just to feel normal. The high goes away, the money goes away, and people end up with this desperate feeling of withdrawal with just enough to relieve the withdrawal and get their sick off, and then they go into withdrawal again. Unfortunately, many people settle into alcohol use to dampen their feelings of withdrawal and end up evolving into serious alcoholics. Most opiate users eventually come to realize that they have a problem. At first it may seem that the only problem is to get enough drug, and then they begin to alternate between too much, with sleepiness and an inability to function, and not enough, with anxiety, irritability, fatigue, and an inability to function. All of this started out as an attempt to be happy and to cope with stress. The high always goes away, the crash lasts longer and gets deeper, trying to get high on opiates results in excess adrenaline, increased pain, fatigue, and a lack of joy. With repetition, substance abuse evolves into addiction. Who you spend time with is a major part of how things turn out. Who you spend time with is two-thirds of the outcome. With prolonged abstinence, comfort, calmness, and joy returns. People can learn to cope with life more effectively. They can transform anxiety into security, anger into determination, shame into a sense of purpose, and emptiness into joy. People can learn to trigger their reward activation system at will and become joyfully euphoric just like children do. This is Dr. John Ewing, and this presentation has been on the peril and folly of opiate abuse. I hope that you will encourage your friends and family to avoid opiates as much as possible. Thank you. This has been a production of Spirit Lake Wellness Incorporated. To learn more about our wellness education projects, visit www.spiritlakewellness.org. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved.